People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. And welcome to Kidney Talk. Yes, we're here another week. Another week? I can't believe we made it. I'm so excited. Hey, do you watch those reality shows like Survivor and, and stuff like that? I do. I actually love Survivor because I can relate. I'm a survivor. I, but I can, I can never name those survivors. You know, supposedly they're big stars for like 15 minutes. And yes. Then, who are they? I, I know everybody was crazy about names. that. I... They were crazy about that guy who looked like Grizzly Adams or something. Oh, yeah. I can't remember his name. See? You can't remember his name. <laughs> I rest I my case. If I saw him on the street, I would recognize him. Well, because he's nine foot ten and <laughs> you know eight hundred pounds. But the show's fascinating because, you know, you're out there on the tropical beaches and they're eating bugs and they're they're doing all kinds of things. And as kidney patients, we have to eat all kinds of weird things and drink weird things. So I think I relate. I wonder if it, like somebody on dialysis could be a member of Survivor. They should have an entire episode series of <laughs> surviving on dialysis while you're eating bugs. I well. As long as you know, low potassium, but Survivor itself is is easy compared to what it's like to living with kidney disease. You know what? That is a great analogy. Yes, because it's it's it is it's much tougher than people imagine. It's the same thing like with diabetes. People say, "Oh, so what? You have to pass up dessert." They have no idea what it's like to live with kidney disease. It's difficult how to limit your fluid and say no to some of the foods that are bad for you. I mean, we would probably die of a high potassium if we had to eat all those coconuts that they eat on the islands. Right. And, you know, that's the hardest thing for me. Having to not have potatoes or avocados or something like that, bananas, that really is not a big problem for me. My biggest problem is I love to drink. I drink, you know, it's I don't smoke. I don't drink alcohol. Unlike you. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. We're spreading that rumor again. That? Oh, no. I just love you know drinking all day, and I just had to curb that, and it's really difficult. It's really, I start crying when I pass by a 7-Eleven. Speaking of survivors. Yes, we have a survivor today. I mean, um, in our studio, we have Judy Weintraub. Um, she's a native uh, from New York, and she's lived with kidney disease. She's a native from, like an, 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 an American <laughs> Indian? No, she's a native of New York. Sorry. Oh, she's from the Weintraub tribe. She's been living with kidney disease for over 30 years. She's going to tell us all about her battle with kidney disease and what she's done to thrive um, with dialysis, transplant, different modalities, and give us some lessons of how to navigate the island. So when we come back, we are going to talk to a real survivor, Judy Weintraub. Well, now that I have mastered Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers, how many pickled peppers did Peter Piper pick? Let's see what my next challenge will be. In here hmm. Say this three times fast. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Now, if I only knew what that means. A fistula should be your first choice for your dialysis access. It says here, less infection and less hospitalizations. That's good. Yes. 
lasts longer. Some patients have had their fistula for more than 30 years? Oy. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. For more information, please visit fistulafirst.org. Do it now. very special guest. Uh, Judy Weintraub's here with us in the studio today. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Lori. Thanks, Stephen. It's an honor to be here. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to uh, reach out to other people as you do, Lori, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here with you today. Now, you have some experience. You've, you've been on dialysis for like gazillion years. A gazillion plus a decade. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's now, tell a, us how it all started. Tell us the history of your kidney uh, disease here. Well, actually, I have kidney disease. Uh, it started when I was four. And four years I, old. Four years old. And so I'm living with kidney disease. You don't have to guess my age for 43 years. And my kidneys went into total renal failure when I was in adolescence at age 15. And understandably, that's probably the was the biggest shock of my lifetime. That must be so was, tough as well, a teenager. Yeah. As a teenager, it's probably the most challenging period of time to have to deal with something like this when all you want to do is be like the other kids and not stand out in the crowd. For something to happen to you like this, it was... Uh, it was really a journey to go through and uh, eventually learn to accept what was going on with me. But when it happened, initially, I was thrust into survival mode. My family, because they wanted me to have as normal a childhood as possible, they didn't tell me all that was happening with my kidney function, so I didn't really know until one day the doctor said and my uh, periodic visit, why don't we go upstairs and visit the dialysis unit. Oh my which goodness. <laughs> all I could think to myself was... What is dialysis? Yeah, what, is what is dialysis? <laughs> Why are they sending me up here? And I don't want to walk into that scary room. And so I did start when I was in my sophomore year of high school on dialysis. What, what, what's your, what was the first kind of treatment you had? What modality? Um, back in the 70s, peritoneal dialysis was considered an emergency option. And, and hemodialysis was essentially the only game in town. When I started in the mid-70s, um, there had been quite a bit of home hemo patients beforehand in the 60s, but by the time I started, the Medicare Act had been passed a few years before, and the prolifer proliferation of dialysis units caused most people to dialyze in center at that time. So, so it really it really made home dialysis less of an option because In the mid-70s, absolutely. So when I started, it was in a pediatric unit in New York, and I was told, don't worry, you'll get a transplant, you'll be fine. So that was all I could focus on at the time. Three months later, I did get my first transplant. Uh, as it turned out, over the span of decades, looking back, I've now been on dialysis for more than 31 years. Wow. I'm heading to my 32nd year, yeah. 32 years. Wow. I can't even, on I mean, dialysis. yeah, 12 yeah. years was a long time, but I can't imagine now, you 32. Had a transplant, and how long did that last? Um, it was a very, very difficult time. The transplant lasted for three months only, 
and I was in ICU and in the hospital a total of probably half of that period of time. And I pulled myself back and I went back to school and I graduated from high school and my sister was living in California at the time. We were very close and all I wanted to do was go to UCLA. That was my dream. I was determined and, and thank goodness that uh, seems to be something that's emerged within me that I didn't realize I had as a child, but I'm one hell of a determined person apparently. So I did go to college. I went to UCLA. I got a degree in psychology. Then I went on to USC and got a degree in special education. Now this well, is all while you're on dialysis? You got it. I wanted to learn how to cope with what I had and to help other people learn how to cope with what they have. And and I was fascinated in psychology. And and my my health stabilized. Frankly, I was getting blood transfusions every four to six weeks. Yeah, I remember all those during days. That time. Oh, man. All during that time. I was really stubborn. I wouldn't even get a special disabled parking permit. I was determined to act like everybody else. And well, do you think that attitude is one of the reasons that helped you survive? Well, was that you were you were determined to not be a victim ab- to this absolutely, illness? Absolutely, absolutely, Lori. One thing about so that I've learned over the years is that kidney disease is something that happens to some people, and then you choose if you're going to buy into what other people project onto you. Are you going to take on that victim mentality that so often comes up? And are you going to give up and be just kind of let go of a lot of things? Or are you going to continue to strive and be determined to live as full a life as possible? Well, one of the things I know that has been one of the reasons that you've done so well is you cannulate yourself, that stick yourself for hemodialysis. And when did you first start doing that? How did the healthcare professionals encourage you to do that? I began doing that immediately after that first transplant rejected and I had a fistula that had stopped working and I had a shunt. Nobody knows so what a you shunt were, is So anymore. how old were you when you started self-cannulating? I was 16 years old. Oh, wow. So you've been sticking yourself for 31 years? Well, I was on peritoneal dialysis, but what happened was I, uh, after graduate school, I started working with deaf children and during that time, I was called for a second kidney transplant, mm-hmm. which was a, a, a kind of a twilight zone episode and that the kidney was put into me. It went into shock. My body rejected it, and the kidney never worked and had to be removed after a couple of months. Did you get your money back? You know, I could never <laughs> understand, Stephen, why you had to pay the transplant bills if the transplant didn't doesn't work. work. <laughs> I you could never figure that money. one out. Exactly. You buy um, a car and it doesn't work, you, you know, never get your money back. Exactly. Could never, ever figure that one out. So anyway, that transplant didn't work. I went back to in-center hemo, and it was at that point that I started exploring other options. I started PD, and I did that for 12 and a half years, and I had a fantastic run with it. I never got peritonitis. I had the same catheter throughout. By that time, I was ready more than two decades of dialysis. I began thinking about a third transplant because of joint issues starting to happen in my body. I went for a third transplant. Unfortunately, that baby didn't last for more than three months as well. Wow, you had some pretty bad luck with these transplants. You know what? There's something, I think I have a kick-ass immune system. Uh There is something inside my body that just doesn't like kidneys, but on the other hand, I feel that it's 
one of the reasons why I'm here yeah. today. I'm doing nocturnal home hemodialysis now for four years. I'm very, very fortunate. There's a man who came into my life this year through a mutual friend. His name is Joel who uh, we're wild about each other. We're getting married well, next year. Well, we're gonna, we gotta take a quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna hear more about her kick-ass immune system. And now it's time to Ask the Nephrologist. What can I do about sexual dysfunction and will it improve if I get a transplant? And here's Dr. Alan Nissenson with the answer. There are serious issues with sexual function when patients are on dialysis, both in men and in women, caused by the disruption of normal hormone levels in either men or women. So there's decreased sexual desire. Men have very difficult time having an erection. Um, this has been well documented and is a significant problem. Uh, but it's not hopeless. And there are a number of things that can improve sexual dysfunction, more for men, more for men than for women. Uh, for men, there are male hormone injections that are sometimes effective. There are prostheses that have been used successfully so that men can still have intercourse uh, if they choose to, to do that. And recently, there have been a couple of papers with these sort of erectile dysfunction drugs that are so popular now, and particularly with Viagra, showing that Viagra does have a positive effect on men who have sexual dysfunction, men on dialysis, and is safe. So, and there are now published dose recommendations for using Viagra in this population. So all of those things can be tried. For women, it's more difficult, women on dialysis. There really hasn't been the attention to this. Part of the reason is that it's more difficult to measure the dysfunction other than just by reporting. In men, there actually are tools to measure penile function, that, so this can be quantitated pretty well. And then if you do an intervention like Viagra, you can actually measure this. So it's not just someone telling you that everything's better, which you know always is difficult. For women, it's, it's harder. So there aren't any great solutions for women on dialysis right now that I'm aware of. On the other hand, and the last part of your question, which is about transplantation, the good news is that the abnormal hormone levels are caused by the accumulation of toxins that are not removed by dialysis. So if you have a functioning transplant, these things generally improve significantly. Small caveat, which is the immunosuppressive drugs can sometimes have the same side effect, although much less commonly than dialysis itself. So it's not that automatically a well-functioning transplant will be a cure to this problem, but there's a good chance that things will improve, particularly if you're on reasonable doses of immunosuppressive drugs. The Ask a Nephrologist segment of this program is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition. The Renal Support Network and the Renal Physicians Association make no representations or warranties and provide no guarantees of any kind as to the accuracy of any information provided during the Ask a Nephrologist segment. Well, 
I know one of the things that you've accomplished that I think is very impressive is you you founded and are now past president of the American Association of Kidney Patients Los Angeles chapter. That's what right, made Lauren. you really get involved in, in, and start that, helping other patients? Very, very good question. Um, well, you know, why, why do you always have the good question? After working with deaf children for a number of years and all of a sudden I was approaching another milestone uh, personally, I was approaching 20 years of dialysis, and I felt a very strong urge to share with people, as you do, tips and information and education in a, in a formalized way, because I looked around in the dialysis unit and things weren't yeah. so hot, frankly, and it, it frustrated me that that the message wasn't getting out there, and so I... I became an advocate for other patients. You need to educate yourself, and then you realize you need to educate the people around right. you in your life, your exactly. family, your friends, the professionals. And then some people, you're one of a handful, Lori, who has that feeling inside them that you've got to give something back. And um, Viktor Frankl once said this, and John Kennedy said something very similar. It's not what the world owes you. It's what you owe this world. Well, you know, she She's... shares the same opinion about you as, you know, she said you are one of a handful. And I always think you're a handful. <laughs> So a handful of what, I'm not going to say. No, no, she's wonderful doing this. And, and the other thing that people don't know about her, she's a wonderful tap dancer. <laughs> so listen, tell us about this guy you've met. You met him on the Internet? My friends were really, some of them were really giving me a hard time because at one point a few years ago, I said, okay, I'm going to try J-Date. I'm going out there. I'm going to do the, and I did. I, I'm going to do the internet, internet thing. And I had a friend who would say to me, they're wolves. They're going to eat you alive, Judy. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I said, you know, if anything, it'll be like a cultural anthropology experiment. You know, <laughs> I'll just sit back and watch how this thing goes. And, you know, I, I did it as a lark. It ended up that I met this guy. He's the love of my life. His name is Joel. Through a friend, through a very, very dear friend. And we had no idea this was happening. I know him for about two years. And earlier this year, we ended up spending the day together. And at the end of the day, it was unbelievable. We both knew, we looked into each other's eyes, and we knew we were gonna spend the rest of our lives with each oh, other. Oh, wow. So how long have you known this guy? We know each other about two years. Oh, two and years. We were, but we how were long friends. have you dated him, though? It wasn't even a normal dating kind of thing. As friends, we just spent the day together, and at the end of the day, uh -huh. we looked at each other, and in the same moment, it wasn't as if he had a notion and I had no clue, or, uh -huh. and, or I said, this is the guy for me, and he didn't have a clue. It was incredible. We both knew in the same moment. We didn't even know each other's foibles or, you know, all these the little things you learn about, and... He gets me, and it's so extraordinary because so many people, they, they buy into the society's notion of a chronic illness. They don't get the technology has advanced so far that you can live a full life. You can be a functioning member of society. People, you know, they, they do. I'm sure, Lori, you've seen this before. You know this. 
they approach you, the head tilts. How right. are you feeling? Today. You know, they get everything <laughs> drops on their face. The people who don't know Are you know okay? Us, are you okay? Are you taking care of yourself? <laughs> you know, maybe we're not thinking about that 24 hours a yeah, day Yeah, maybe we're focusing all. on our dreams and not taking care of ourselves. You know, if, if for example, you know, I, I know you're an animal lover. So if somebody comes up to you, Lori, they might ask you how, the, how your pets are doing. And I understand that if somebody knows that you're on dialysis, but they don't know you well, then that might be a first question. How are you feeling? Because they don't, you know, people put people into little boxes. This guy, Joel, he sees me. He sees me. We have so, a blast together. So what do you we, like to do? We and what, what's your favorite favorite thing to do together? Stare into each other's eyes. Oh, but, but I'm saying it's not true that when you get together, you just basically arm wrestle all the time. So you're planning your wedding. Your um, do you have a song that's like your song? We do, but I can't disclose it because it's going to be a surprise. Oh, okay. Oh, so unfortunately, I can't disclose it. And uh, so what you're saying is kind of classified information because he's going to sing it for me oh, at the okay. wedding. Okay, well, he's, he's going to sing for her I at the wedding. I, just, yeah. I, I hope it's not I Ain't Gonna Bump No More with No Big Fat Woman. <laughs> it's not that song, is it? Is no, that the song? Not. No, okay, no it's not. Well, you know what, Judy Weintraub, you are a really a, a great survivor, and you got your whole life ahead of you again because you're starting a new passage and a new chapter in your life. Postman, here you go. Hmm. I won the million-dollar giveaway sweepstakes. Oh, I finally got my tax refund check. Oh, my God. I, I can't believe this. I got my order of Dairy Delicious. Oh, boy. Milkshakes, creamy soup, cereal with milk, and pudding. <laughs> Why is Mr. Smith so excited about his Dairy Delicious? I have a hint. You see, Mr. Smith is on dialysis, and Dairy Delicious' is real milk is specially created for kidney patients. It has half the potassium and half the phosphorus of regular 2% milk, but it has 100% of the flavor. Perfect for people who love dairy products and need to keep their lab values normal and dietitians happy. And most of all, it's delicious. Thousands who have tried Dairy Delicious sing its praises. Hallelujah. See what I mean? To order your own Dairy Delicious and possibly get as excited as Mr. Smith here, call 1-877-4-DAIRY-7. That's 1-877-432-4797. Or visit DairyDelicious.com. Dairy healthy, dairy good, dairy delicious. The milk that's made for you. Wow, now th talk about survivors. That is a real survivor. Yes. I, I mean, she has such an incredible story. She's just been through so much and continues to just use those kick-ass... <laughs> what was a kick-ass immune system? A kick-ass immune system. I, I wonder mean... if her fiancé knows she has a kick-ass immune system. <laughs> I don't know, but you know? I, I think that um, it has served her very well because, you know, you really need to know how to fight when you have kidney disease. You, you need fight. to know how to fight when you're married, too, so she's got to... <laughs> 
<laughs> She's got a really uh, a tough road ahead of her. Now, listen, how long can you stare into your husband's eyes? You know, you know. one time my wife was staring into my eyes, but she, I actually had something in my eye. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.